Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bose Nerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. And welcome, my friends. Good morning. It is Saturday. This is the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. If you are in bed and we are next to you, keep us there. We'll be here for the next three hours. Derek Hunter is on board here already later in the program. The Princess Die. Also, America's small caffeinated mom, Rhonda Schrock, will join us. And we'll be speaking with James Flippin, as we usually do in a second. Now, Derek, happy Saturday. How are you? James, happy Saturday. It's glad to hear you sounding more like yourself than last week and the week before. I had to go to the doctor midweek. Oh, no. That's kind of Oh, before. yes. Good. And it seems to have worked. Antibiotics, some sort of bacterial infection? Uh, no, I'm on steroids. Ah, so rage. With warnings. With, and, he's, and he said, hmm, I don't know how this is going to affect your broadcast, but you, your mood may change. <laughs> oh, well, you baby. sound better. You sound better, whether or not it's... Well, better. my hearing is slowly starting to come back. Good. Um, and it looks like... It, it's either two weeks of this steroid stuff, or else if this doesn't work, then I'm going to have to have a surgical thing done. But yeah. I'm hoping that this will take care of it. Hopefully, hopefully this will do it. Um, I know you usually have things prepared, but mm-hmm. might I uh, inject a point of personal privilege? I have a little yes, a please little bit that I thought it's kind of a slow news day, and so mm-hmm. I am. Um, not really, but I'm just trying to make excuses for this because I thought it, I found I amused myself last night, and I thought I've run this past Bo. That, that sounds strange. Just so you know, I amused myself last night. That's right. I find myself amusing, and not everybody's dirty. Not everybody's dirty. See, they say you go blind, you do that. Apparently, you go deaf. So, <laughs> all right, I uh, <clears throat> I need you to to you all to play a role. You all work at Lifetime Television, right? Everybody's familiar with Lifetime Television. Oh yeah, the I Hate Men channel. Yes, and uh, just the the garbage people channel. It's more like a a group of garbage people. And the way Lifetime makes movies is they come up with a title, and then they seek out a story to fit that title to make the movie. They think, oh, this is a great title, we'll make a movie. So I have two news stories from this week that would make, I think, great Lifetime movies, but sadly we can only make one of them. So I need you to pick which one best fits the title that we've already chosen, and that title is White Trash Olympics. Okay? OMG. Okay. So these are two stories ripped from today's headlines, one from the UK Daily Mail and this first one from the New York Post. Now, the first one is, it is one of those things I could go off about how they call 
teacher sex with a boy, you know, there's no big deal. They sort of downplay it. But the details of this one override that normal outrage. The headline is teacher slapped with rape charges after having sex with teen while using other students as lookouts. Boy's dad busted for allowing relationship. I saw that. Yeah. So uh, there's just a little bit of this that I want to read. A Missouri teacher. A good heartland story. A Missouri teacher is yep. in charge with statutory rape for allegedly having sex with a 16-year-old while other students served as lookouts. And the boy's father, also facing felony charge for conduct uh, for condoning the disturbing relationship. And there's, you know, the typical mugshot. And she was married. And that's where we get into the details that I think would make a great Lifetime movie. <clears throat> now, this is all printed in the newspaper. There are a couple of words I probably won't say, but these are all printed in the newspaper. I'll get creative with the words. So witnesses also claim the math teacher had been in trouble with school administrators in the past for being too close with students. Uh, the teacher, a recently divorced mother of two, would often wear tight or low-cut shirts uh, to show off her, quote, headlights and quite uh, tight leggings to show off her. And then there's a euphemism for uh, the hoof of uh, a desert-dwelling animal. <clears throat> it says, the witnesses told... Does it have a hump, this, this, it, this it, desert? It indeed does. It indeed okay. does. It's as if you know what I'm talking about. So the witnesses told the victim the reason for her her divorce was pushed through uh, uh, was Haley wanted a divorce due to her husband, quote, only wanting to do butt stuff. Court documents revealed. Oh, my. That's, that's, no. that's the New York Post. And then there's a picture of the father sitting in front of, no, I'm not even kidding, a trailer. He couldn't, again, it's it, the Lifetime movie writes itself. And he knew all about it and condoned it and he knew that all the kids were looking at it and looking out for it. And he was cool with it. And he kind of, you know, you look at that guy and you go, that guy would be cool with this. But then you think, okay, well, there you go. There's your White Trash Olympics movie made green light. Let's go film this thing. Let's get uh, some washed up 80s actor from head of the class to star in it. No. Okay. No. Later on in the week, we've got one with a real Hollywood actor. This one... This is my personal favorite, the UK Daily Mail. Avengers star Jeremy Renner has been accused of insulting a Reno family after striking up a relationship with their felon daughter, sending her Dick Durbin pics, you know, Senator Dick Durbin, she sends pictures of him, the most appropriately named man in the Senate, sending him uh, Senator Durbin pics, we'll call it, and allegedly calling her mom uh, and aunt effing idiots. That's okay. Promising start, but that doesn't beat the the father being in on it and the butt stuff. No, no, no. Renner, 52, began a romantic relationship with Reno hairdresser. A hair, of course, it's a hairdresser. Amber Monson, 34, after meeting her at a local club in August. Her family told the Daily Mail. So you got the whole family talking to the Daily Mail. Monson, a colorful figure who has had several run-ins with the law, including stealing a government car and taking it on a high-speed chase in 2001, according to local reports. So she's a keeper. She's a keeper right there. Her brother, Jason Nelms. Now, again, her name is Heather Monson. Her brother's name is Jason Nelms. I would posit that once you get multiple names into a family, once you get past three names in a family, 
there's something going on there, and you should probably avoid that. You know, three last names in one family. I'm just saying. This is my cousin Joseph Johnson. This is my uh, my brother. Once you get past three names, you're just going. There's something something wrong here. Her brother Jason Nelms says Renner met Monson at a Reno club in August, and the two began dating. Renner even I love how this is written. Like this is this is a sign of affection. He says Renner even sent Monson uh, Senator Durbin pics, which she then showed to her mom and aunt. Now, I know my wife hopes to remain close to our children all the time, but not this close. Never. <laughs> Never. Never. But how do you how do you do that? Hey mom, guess what I come over here and look at this mom and bring your sister. Nothing will make the family prouder. Shockingly, I know that uh, this will come as a shock too. The woman has giant neck tattoos and cleavage tattoos. I hope you're sitting down for that. Nelms, the brother, 40, told the DailyMail.com that the relationship went from purely sexual to more romantic after the Hurt Locker actor started video chatting with Monson and her family in recent months. Now, I love it. Sex, they're not close. They barely know each other. They don't even exchange names. They don't even make eye contact. But once you do a FaceTime chat, why, that's just this side of engaged to be engaged. However... Things soured at a gathering to celebrate his new Christmas album in November. And I had to look it up. I'm like, yeah, he, he does do music. I didn't listen to any of it because I imagine it sucks. But so he told Daily Mail that Renner invited Monson, her mother, and friends to his $2.6 million Lake Tahoe mansion where they were to meet the actor's daughter and parents. And I'm sure it was what? going to be some sort of weird orgy, too, right? Mom, hey. Hey, show my mom the pictures you showed your mom. I can imagine that happening as they're slicing the turkey. Said, but when they struggled to find the entrance hidden on a Mount Rose back road, he called them effing idiots on the phone and refused to come out to meet them at the entrance, they claimed. Like, if you can't find this hidden entrance in the dark in a place you've never been, then you're an idiot. Quote, it's kind of out in the boonies where he lives, Nelms told the Daily Mail. They're trying to drive out there, and they're lost. They don't know where it is at. Of course, he finishes it with at. It's dark. The roads are icy and bad. They're calling him just trying to figure out where he's at. At one point, he's like, what are you guys, effing idiots? Do you not have a brain between the three of you? (laughs) Nasty S like that, they said. At least come out to the driveway so we can see where you are. He said, no, I'm in my socks. You're messing up my chill. Uh, it goes on from there, but you get the idea that we're dealing with people who, um, I assume they all sat around the campfire and you know, ate their Thanksgiving meal and then took their Senator Durbin picks and traded them amongst themselves, what have you, but... This is the world. You sit there and you go, well, the guy in the trailer park with the teacher and a bunch of poor, no account, white trash. And then you go, but then you got the, one of the Avengers. Which one will make the movie White Trash Olympics, James? Okay. <laughs> Derek, the solution to this is obvious. Hemlock? This is not a movie. This is a series. <laughs> We this has to be a series, and it has to. And every week we can add to it. Yes. So let's start doing the series. 
we have our first two in the series right now. I just, I, what, well, okay, what's your favorite? What's your favorite? The favorite is, is still the teacher. The Come teacher. on. <laughs> the teacher, she's got kids on lookout while she's blinking an underage guy. And she's with leaving other... her husband because he only wants to do, you know, I, Yeah, because, uh, yeah. And, and, and then. The, and the, dad's the, like, the, you go, son. You go, son. You do it, dad. You do it, sonny. On the way home, you make sure you pick me up a can of dip, and we will absolutely <laughs> high-five when you get home. <laughs> you know how it is. Well. I just saw those stories, and I'm like, one day, the first story with the teacher, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is such trash. And then next day, Jeremy Renner goes, hold my, my beer. <laughs> I love how the, the woman's like, hey, now, Mom, Jerry, Mom this check is- out this text I just got from Jeremy Renner. You know this. Look at this picture. You know this guy. He's an Avenger. Like I didn't see that scene in the Avengers. I don't know that that's him. So we have the other guy from the Marvel franchise that was just convicted, and he's 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 a little annoyed with the young lady he's been hanging out. And Marvel said we got to get rid of him out of the Marvel showcase. Yeah. And now we got this guy. Well, they're not going to get rid of Jeremy. He didn't do anything illegal. He just did everything that causes people to recoil. You know, like ugh. He's the guy with perfect aim. I don't want to know how he uses it in his private life, though. Mm, mm, mm. Well, there you go. And then I have the third. I have the third. Uh, this the third one. Right. See, because I heard, I read these stories, and I immediately thought of you. I don't know. You take that how you want. Not the G. Thank you. <laughs> So I have the third in the series, right. except we it's not its not what you call white trash. And I don't use that phrase. I always hated well, that I phrase. I did it. I'm allowed to. I, I just, ugh. And I use but anyway. no account white trash the way they do it in the movies. Make no account well, white Well, I don't, I, I've always, I, I can't, and, and I don't even, you know, yesterday was Russia's birthday. Mm-hmm. And Dawn used to always bring in, and she used to call it the white trash cake or something like that. And... Um, I don't, but it was, it was a great cake and I'm not going to say who makes it, but, um, for his birthday. And I always thought, what, how did they get that name? But is it, know, is I, it just store-bought? Yeah, but it's, it's a, probably it's inexpensive. A, yes, but okay, it was. Okay, well, I can tell you how I got that name. It's good enough. Did, you know, mom or dad, somebody could bake a cake, probably be cheaper, but eh. Not worth the effort. Might have to put the Paul Mall down for a second. So you just buy this thing. It's good enough. Okay. Good enough. enough. All right. So the third story that we should put in the series comes from real life. And that's who's doing the fanny. These are real life. These are real life stories. Yes. Well, this is also real life. And that's who's doing the fanny. And that is the case of. Yeah. Okay. I get it now. I thought. Who's. Yeah, I didn't Who's realize doing the fanny? doing double entendre. I was just keeping my mind in the gutter. Who's doing the fanny? Fanny Willis and this 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 case when the f- story first emerged during the week, I said, "Hmm, I wonder if this is going to blow up." It has blown up. It fanny makes you Willis. I wonder whether or not Fanny was a real name or a nickname. I'm telling you. <clears throat> So Fanny hires a, uh, a a guy, and now we learn today that this guy wasn't even approved by the relevant board that approves. He had no experience dealing with RICO 
uh, investigations, yet she hires him. So far, his company's earned more than six hundred and fifty grand. Wasn't it out of like COVID relief money too? Wasn't money? I, that's money? I'm not sure about that. But then the guy div- divorces his wife the very next day. He files for divorce after Fanny hires him. He and Fanny are said to have gone on uh, very exotic and costly vacations together. Boinking it up all around town and 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 wherever. Meanwhile, the guy's also this this special prosecutor guy going after Trump now has met with Joe Biden's uh, special counsel. He's met with some of the J six people. Although he said in the filing today, oh, they didn't tell me anything. They told me they can't. He's charged six thousand dollars. Yeah, you know, you well, should please. always believe somebody who has a vested interest in not you not right. knowing the truth when they tell you something. His name is Nathan Wade. His wife that he divorced the day after Fanny hired him and in the and let's let's make him wealthy scheme apparently. See, he should have divorced her the day before cuz now she's he got that deal while they were married. She's still going to get her beak wet off it. And and the wife has now subpoenaed Fanny. Yep. And and so this thing is turning into a, like a real live soap opera here. And the impact that it will have on the Trump case remains to be seen. Some experts say no. Even Trump hating Governor Kemp is saying, hey, this may we may have to probe into this thing and see what's going on here. And then there are others that this could very well result in Fanny having to recuse herself. From the Trump case. So the Fanny is on the fire. And we will we can delve into it a little bit more. This is a huge story. No, it is. And everybody, uh, the, sadly, the reporting I've seen is, well, they have to drop the charges against Trump. One doesn't really have anything to do with the other. Maybe if they can establish more what uh, the guy was doing up in Washington, D.C. and meeting with various people, then maybe it looks bad. But, you know, it... It certainly doesn't bode well for Fanny's case, but it doesn't necessitate the dropping of charges that she's a lying, corrupt scumbag to, you know. But it will be fine. It will be fine. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't really. It cha- doesn't change the circumstances. You know, she's gotten a bunch of guilty pleas. Those people can't go back and say, "Well, she was sleeping with this guy, so therefore these charges need to be dropped." You have to show more than inappropriate behavior by the prosecutor, I think. Hmm. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Yep. It'll be fun to watch. Derek, it will be. But, uh, yeah, yep, yep. Who's doing Fanny? Well. Who's the <laughs> DA butt stuff? <laughs> January 13, 2021, American musician Tim Bogart passed away. Bass guitarist, vocalist with Vanilla Fudge, who had a big hit remaking the Supreme song, Ya Keep Me Hanging On to the Booty. Uh, anyway, it is, um, the Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC. Derek Hunter is with us. Later on today, Princess Di. Can't wait to hear what she's going to speak about. Later on today, America's small caffeinated mom. Weather is a story all around the United States. Some 2,000 flights canceled. If you're headed out of town, please check the flight status. And 
I don't know whether you know this, Derek. Apparently, America's cities on the East Coast are sinking deeper and deeper into the earth. That story came out today, too. You mean I'm going to have an oceanfront house soon? Awesome. Yep. That's what apparently is happening. I don't believe that, but okay. Now, is the, mm-hmm. are the oceans rising or is everything sinking? Because I was a kid, when I was a kid, I was promised California was going to fall into the ocean. Yeah, I know. We all look forward. They uh, don't even promise that anymore. They're not even talking about it anymore. I so, know. We used to hear that California, that you should buy real estate in Nevada because it's going to be the the it's new the uh, continental shelf. And it will, right. the big one will knock it into the ocean. Yeah, the earthquakes will take it out, the fires or the jury verdicts. None of that happened. Nothing. Nothing. California is still there. It's a real estate scam. Coming back, 800-848-WABC on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. This is the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. Most certainly James Golden here with you on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. The music from Roberta Flack and Donnie Hathaway, who sadly on this day in 1979 took his own life. Derek, have you uh, heard this song before? No. And I got to tell you, before we were going to the break, the Vanilla Fudge or whatever, the Banana Splits, whatever the song was, that was a hit? Yes, it was a big hit for them. And it was a remake of The Supremes. You keep me hanging on. I know the song. I know the original song. You've never heard this song before, Derek? Uh, No. No. Hold on. Maybe I've heard this. It's not unsimilar to a lot of crappy songs from the 70s. No, it was not a crappy song. It was Roberta and Donnie. And this song was such a huge hit. Written by M. Tume, by the way. Success doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Make a song not suck. Okay. Some of the best songs never sold. How dare you say that this song sucks? Your taste in music is just... It's... I, there's right, no good. word there's for the it. word you're looking for. It's, good. No, disturbing. 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 How is it disturbing? You, it's disturbing that you can. This is a classic song, which is so. In fact, I'm getting texts. Debbie, dude, I love this song. Yes, so many people love this song. When this song, I remember the first time I heard this song. It was one of those that hit. The it's moment a, you heard it, it's definitely hit. well. Okay, in what year? What year was this? Is it night? Oh, 1978. Okay, there you go. And you had a big couple skate. Drug use was pretty. This song is still... Are you kidding? 
This is one of the most the beautiful drug love songs. Prevalent in the seventies? No, I'm not kidding. It's of a course. True story. Look it up. Well, I happen to know that I was there, mm, and you witnessed. And you saw people doing it as not as not just shocked. saw it. Just I, I've I've right. made I have made no secret about the fact that you have a terrible taste in music. Yep. That unlike Bill Clinton, I inhaled. <laughs> well, this this song is a hit and a wonder. To people who did more than just inhale with that weak seventies weed, this is oh man, you this just, is something pathetic. more. This is you got to know a guy who knows a guy to get the stuff to make this a good song. Pathetic, I know, right? It really is a pathetic. I want to take You're a right. quick I'm call because because no, I did because we have a caller that introduces a topic that I do want to talk about. And Sandra is calling in from New Jersey. Sandra, you're on the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Derek Hunter is here, no taste in music. And, of course, you have me. Hi, Sandra. Good morning, both of you. I enjoy Derek, and I always enjoy James. Good morning. James, good morning. You know, I was, you know, I'm trying to understand this war that's going on now, and I know that on October 19th, the captain of the USS Carney they went into the end of the Red Sea, and they were attacked. They were attacked by missiles, like four of them, and 15 drones. Nothing was done. Then March of last year, um, soldiers were attacked, and, and again, nothing was, was done. So now, you know, then with this uh, whole thing with the Hamas, the Biden administration doesn't take pains to, to do anything about it. And then now, what's going on in the Red Sea, I'm learning that the Red Sea is a critical shipping corridor. And I'm learning that 18 drones and three missiles have been shot from Yemen. And I'm learning that, uh, you know, all these ships have been targeted. And um, it's just a very serious problem that's escalating. And I understand that, you know, Houthis is fighting for Hamas, and I understand that the leader of uh, Houthis, I think his name is Abdul Malik, he has no intentions of, of giving up at all. In fact, he's all, they're preparing to fight more with us, and right. I am really, I'm growing concerned, and, and Donald Trump said, you know, <laughs> World War III is not far from happening, and, and I'm wondering if this is going to be something that causes a war for us. and The war is widening. That is what is being reported. Now, let me ask answer a few of your questions, and then, then we'll ask Derek about it, too. Number one, okay. please understand why we're striking back. You're absolutely right. There have been multiple attacks on shipping and attacks directed toward the U.S. military. We've shot down their drones. We've deflected their missiles. We have killed a few of these actors. You have not mentioned the country that is truly behind this, Iran. This group, the Houthis, are supported by Iran. This is a proxy right. battle that has been taking place. Why now? Why are, we, why are we acting? I will give you my opinion. We are in now an election year. Keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Worldwide, and you touched on this. This is what's important. The world economy is now being affected 
by the lack of shipping that is coming out of the Red Sea. The world economy is losing billions of dollars because the transfer of energy and other goods from that Red Sea transit point has now been compromised. It will resound on not just the economy of the United States, but the economy of the world. And Joe Biden and the PM of the UK, we're not having this. We're going to stop this cult. To my thinking, that is one of the motivations behind let's nip this now while we still can. Derek, what say you? Well, yes, you're right. He has to look bad. He can't. He can't strike at Iran. He can't even mention Iran. They don't mention Iran in any of the statements they put out under his name because he he can't come out and string together a coherent sentence on his own. He removed the Houthis from the terror list, and yesterday he said that they are, in fact, a terrorist group again. Like, well, there's a major disconnect there. Grandpa showers inappropriately with daughter. But it is, uh, they have to do something. And this was literally the least they could do. They're like, well, we did precision, pinpoint strikes against these locations. You really need to saber rattle. You need to be a little less worried about, look, if you're friends with Osama bin Laden, you might not be a terrorist yourself. But if you're sitting down having dinner with Osama bin Laden, if you get blown up in an attack, I don't really care. All right. You should be worried that you're going to go have dinner with Osama bin Laden, that you could get blown up. You should incentivize fear in these people and their associates to sort of separate them and to send messages. The killing of Suleimani sent a message to Iran and scared the hell out of them. The arrival of pallets full of cash in Tehran sent a message and it made Iran happy. There are two different approaches to dealing with this country attacking their proxies without even naming them because I'm not really sure why they seem to Barack Obama was desperate to have to want the Iran deal so he could claim that he prevented them from getting a a nuclear weapon, even though he just kicked the can down the road a little bit while helping them actually research and development phase. But they, uh, They wanted that deal done so much so that during the Arab Spring, they didn't say a word when the people of Iran took to the streets, when they could have actually helped overthrow the despotic regime in Iran. Instead, they talked about Syria, which was a tap and putt, Egypt, which was an ally and caused that, the Mubarak government, to collapse, and Libya, which was a threat to nobody except the people of Libya. No offense to the people of Libya, but, you know, our national security comes first. And ended up taking out Gaddafi and creating a failed state where slavery has returned. So you sit there and you go, why didn't you speak out again until after it was crushed? Why didn't you speak out against Iran? And they didn't really have a good answer because there is no good answer, except for the fact that Barack Obama wanted some kind of foreign policy victory. Joe Biden has set about trying to restore Barack or Joe Biden is trying to restore Joe uh, Barack Obama's foreign policy legacy with the Iran deal. And so he will do seemingly anything to avoid 
dealing with the reality that Iran is responsible for this in the hopes of getting that deal, sending them cash, paying ransoms, you name it. And uh, it's disturbing. Look, we should we got guys with dinghies coming up trying to take boats, and then we've got them on the shore launching ballistic missiles, anti, anti-tanker missiles, essentially. We can take them. If we can't take out the Houthis, I want a full-bore accounting for everything we've spent in the Pentagon for the last 20 years. Amen. If we Amen. can't this, do that. And, and, and they are promising retaliation on America. Yeah. And these guys should be crushed immediately. They should and be I mean dead already. Crushed. Yeah. And we should do it in such a way that Iran, we make it clear to Iran that if you keep this up, we're going to. Un- the problem is the reason we don't win wars anymore isn't we don't have the capacity, it's that we don't have the will. And we have a whole bunch of politicians, both in and out of uniform in the Pentagon and controlling the Pentagon, who go, well, we, we have to win hearts and minds. We want to win hearts and minds. No, we need to crush. We didn't worry about winning the hearts and minds of the German people as we leveled Dresden. We worried about crushing the German regime. That was it. Hiroshima and Nagasaki were not about winning the hearts and minds of the people of Japan. It was taking away the will to fight from the people of Japan. It worked. Ever since then, we, we want to make nice. We want to do, and you just do half measures and strategic things, and you end up failing. And then when you try not to, when you make it a point to try to limit civilian casualties, then that empowers your opponent to make outrage over any civilian casualties that happen in war. So they're killing civilians rather than we're at war. Okay? We're at war. You started this. We and should, this is a war. We should and they are deal attacking. with these people in a way that makes right. Tehran think, oh, my God, and makes the the uh, what the hell, the Ayatollah go, I don't want to leave my house. I'm afraid exactly. to leave my house. Exactly. we got to take a break. Uh, Sandra, thank you for the call, and thank you for a very, very, very well-thought-out call. On this day, American hip-hop producer and rapper Duke Bodie died 69 years old. Best known for his single, The Message. It was on Sugar Hill Records. You know him as Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. On WABC Talk Radio 77, back with our Saturday morning radio extravaganza right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Saturday morning radio extravaganza is in your ears. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snertley, on 77 WABC. Half-Brit Nick is here with us, of course, on Saturday morning. Half-Brit Nick usually selects the music that we come back with. We all We all get together and work on things that have happened on the day. Uh, but I asked for this one so I could dedicate it to Derek because this is another fine example of the wonderful music that came to us from New York's own Roberta Flack. 
and this could be any generic Barry. Quiet. Gibb. If you told me Barry Gibb wrote any of this crap, I'd be like, yeah, all right. That sounds oh, so now you're gonna, now you're gonna, now you're gonna, now you're gonna knock Barry now Gibb. You're gonna, now you're gonna, now you're gonna, the the man was more feathered hair than human. But no, I, I have nothing against the beach. I have nothing against you just, this. You just stuff. insulted just saying, Barry Gibb. You sit there and you say this is the greatest. Uh, no, and it sounds like everything else. No, this does not sound good, like everything it, else. It sounds exactly like the last. Is this the same no, song you played last time? What is, is it the what, same song? Is it? Apparently, I need to send you to my ear doctor well, no, because no, I, your ears are screwed up. No, I, Worse I than don't mine know. ever is could be. Is this the same song or is it not the same song? No, it is not. This is Where Is The Love. These, the are very, these songs were individual What was hits. the other song called? I misplaced The Closer love. I Get To You by Roberta Flack and Donnie Hathaway. That was their first duet together. They had many duets together. Mm-hmm. And this one was a huge hit in and of itself. Where is the love? So many people have covered this this music. William Hung had a hit with she, his cover of She I don't Bangs. know who had William Hung is. Have, exactly. But having a hit doesn't necessarily make it. You know, having a hit means something, Derek. You know what it means? It means that there is a great acceptance of your music. That's why we call them hits. I find some of the better songs weren't hits at all. And you know, you I want agree to go with, by now, hits. wait a minute. You know now, the, wait a minute. You know the hits wait a minute. Who, wait a, oh, no, wait no, a minute. No, no, there no, is, you've made I'm an about to agree with you, Derek. I'm about to agree with you. There were many songs. And in fact, I fantasize about doing a podcast of some of the non-hit music that should have been hits. But for, for whatever reason, they weren't released at the right time. Uh, they weren't marketed properly. There, I listen to so many hits. In fact, I, I do this for my friends occasionally. I'll play artists that we well that we all know, and I'll say, "Have you heard this one by them?" Some of them are album cuts, and in fact, that was one of the things back in the day in radio. There was the AOR format, which was the album-oriented rock format, where you could actually go in and do deep cuts off of the albums, and you would find uh, music that wasn't quote-unquote, hit, but it was still great music. So I do agree with you with that aspect of it. There. Oh, by the way, there's an article, and, and, and you, I know you subscribe to the Washington Post. There, there's an article today about a guy that spent a million dollars, practically, and alienated his family building his music system in his house. He's an audiophile. It is an amazing story about one man's devotion to his music. And what it cost him, you know, and I it really did cost him. It, it's a fascinating article. I posted it on Twitter. One of the jobs I had was I was an electrician's assistant one summer. How many and jobs have you had? It's about. It's got to be approaching. It's between seventy and eighty at this point. Yeah, but the uh, the job, the guy who uh, was the supervisor on the scene, I went to a couple of parties at his house. He had these speakers that, I don't know, they, they're like five feet tall. They couldn't be in direct sunlight. They were special because it would screw up the sound. There's like ions or something stuck between two hermetically sealed. I don't know exactly what this was. I, I couldn't care less. He bought solid gold speaker wire. Now, he lived in a, a neighborhood where, I, I don't know, I could have almost afforded to live at the time. 
But he'd spent so much money on equipment. When you go into somebody's house back in the day and you see their stereo equipment, the normal, like, oh, you have a Kenwood stereo. That was pretty good. (laughs) Then there were other things that you never heard of that were above Kenwood that they didn't carry in the stores that would let people like me into. And uh, you had to be an audiophile to find out. But he was that guy. And it's like, you can't possibly... Unless you have dog ears, you can't possibly. No, there comes a point where you're not noticing any difference, right? Isn't there? Yes. Yeah. No. 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 I tell you what. I went to the Magnolia, uh, one of the Magnolia that that's Best Buy's high mm-hmm. end, and I went into a listening room with a specialist that I've never known a guy that, and he's a former, he's an audiophile himself. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you that he had about he had a setup there that had cost about two hundred thousand dollars. Good lord! And when you when he played the music, I I'm I, I'm I'm not making this up. I got a tear in my eye. The music was so Bad, beautiful, it, so beautiful. Well, I can and I remember it was as a kid, remarkable. I here's my experience with audio. As a kid, my friend Bill took me to Sears, to the Bose Theater in there where on the wall they had the giant speakers hanging up there and you had to watch this stupid thing of like uh, bands playing and then uh, explosions from movies and everything and then eventually like five minutes the whole thing was like five minutes this is this is how we passed the time in suburban detroit at the end of it somebody comes up and takes the giant speaker off the wall and it's just a cover and there are these tiny Bose speakers. Remember the tiny, I don't know, yes, three yes. or four-inch cube speaker? Yes. And behind each one, there's just one of these things. Like, oh, my God, all that noise came from here. And then they go, yes, and these are $200 each. And I said, well, why wouldn't you just charge me a kidney? Like, why would you not just? Like, <laughs> like no, no. I my, my speaker was, or my the stereo I got, I think it was like $39. had a record player on top. Had a had a dual cassette, so I couldn't make cassettes for chicks, but uh, they didn't have any way to play them. But still, I could make them, and it was all one unit. You know how yeah, the real those. fancy people had the different components. You'd buy the, the components, yes. The, mine was not. It was all one unit with two speakers plugged in the back that were crap. But you know what? My room was the whole house I grew up in was twenty by twenty, so my room had to have been like ten by seven. We all so I didn't need a whole, lot of time, a whole lot of speaker power to fill that room with sound. I remember I bought my first stereo on Jamaica Avenue. Um, it was the, my first day I got was a real, hot? no, no. Right. I, this well, was you one see, of you the, bought it on Jamaica Avenue. I figured there's a guy you're walking no, by. No, like, hey, Jamaica buddy, Avenue was in Queens. The way Queens, I bought a Rolex. Jamaica Ave- no, this is Jamaica Avenue. where everybody went shopping. Okay. And um, I don't even remember the store. But it was after I got my first real summer job and I made real money. The first thing I did was came home and I gave my mother some money. I've never been prouder in my life. I said, Ma, I got my first paycheck. I want to contribute to the house. And I gave her some money. And then I immediately got on the bus because I didn't have a car and went down to Jamaica Avenue and bought myself a stereo system. Came home and played Cold Blood Thriller album. Was it, it all it, one? I, was it a stereo like mine, where it was all one? No, it was the amplifier. I already had a turntable yeah. and some speakers, and it was awesome. Let's we got to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to jump right to some phone calls for you, Derek, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll be right back. God, I'm get oh, a about crappy seventies music, aren't I? 
No, you're gonna. No, I'm going to take calls for you. That's all. Well, yeah, that's what another I sad the calls moment are in today. You're, you're Teddy keeping the people who are going. You know what? He's right. These songs all sound the same. Teddy Pendergrass passed away on this day in 2010. Is this simply red? No, it is. <laughs> Harold I said Melvin. That on purpose. I'm trying to. I'm trying to get you so raged that your ears pop and you can hear again. Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, featuring Teddy Pendergrass, and of course Teddy went on to have his own brilliant career. And Teddy had a brilliant career before. He started as a drummer and a vocalist too. Anyway. Teddy Pendergrass on WABC Talk Radio 77, our Saturday morning radio extravaganza continues. Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. The new kids on the block bring us back. One of the big boy bands back then. They had two number one hits. This was the last one, Hanging Tough. On WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. Saturday morning radio extravaganza heading to the phones. Francine in Brooklyn, you are up next. How are you, Francine? Hello, Francine. Francine, are you there? Francine is not there. Let's go to Timothy then. Hello, Timothy in Brooklyn, New York. How are you, Timothy? Hey, good morning, Mr. Bo. Happy New Year. I'm up here making coffee and making breakfast while listening to those excellent throwbacks of Roberta Flack and Donnie Hathaway. And I just want to say keep them going strong. I listen to you every day, and I enjoy your content, sir, and I'm very proud of you. Timothy, thank you so much. Made my day. Thank you, Steve, in Jersey City, New Jersey. You're up next, Steve. Yeah, Bo, hi. Good morning. It's Steve, the bass player. Listen, um, Derek is intelligent, articulate, and hilarious, but he may be tone deaf. Um, I have a friend who sounds exactly like Derek when he talks about music. He, oh, this is crap. Oh, that's so, oh, that's so, and my friend's tone deaf. Now, I'm not saying Derek is tone deaf. I am not tone Derek, deaf. I will tell you the replacements are uh, the greatest band ever. And I am. What? I'm telling you the replacements. Okay, okay. Well, well, we can settle this right now. The replacements, you don't even hear about them today. Could you imagine 50 years from now? I mean. You couldn't have the music you had in the 90s without the replacements in the 80s, and you wouldn't have anything that. I'm not a fan of things that are just belched out by computers, uh, but you wouldn't have anything that has real music without replacements. Lyrically, Paul Westerberg was absolutely brilliant and had great turns of phrase, whereas most of the stuff today is garbage, poll-tested, and based upon the latest guy to dump Taylor Swift. You know, Derek, I, it, this reminds me, this week was um, the first anniversary of the passing of Jeff Beck. 
And this reminds me your horrible comments about Jeff Beck, one what of the greatest guitar players. That anybody question, could do it? Yes. Okay. That's exactly what you said. I didn't say Steve, Jeff Beck's rotting in hell Steve, because Steve, of this or anything. Steve, yeah, you're yeah, a bass well, player. Could Steve, could anybody right. do what Jeff Beck did? He was the most unique guitarist that ever lived. He played with his fingers, and he had a better tone than most players played with picks. And so the sounds that he made with the guitar were never made before and shall never be made again? Here we go. You know, it's just a tough call, Bo. Bo, it's a tough call. The replacements, the Beatles. I can't decide. It's it's such a tough (laughs) call. (laughs) The Beatles are the greatest, but the replacements lyrically do it for me. You know why they were called the replacements? Because they were replaced. No. (laughs) Name a replacement song. I, yeah, I, I can't. You know, exactly. you know why? So then I can't take you seriously on your opinion. Oh, please stop. So there you we go. got to go. Look, I, I at least recognize the songs that suck. We got to go. I've heard them before. Derek, where can people find you? <laughs> Down at the record store. Spinning the replacements <laughs> and uh, judging everybody who goes for late 70s disco. Uh, Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or uh, just search Derek Hunter Podcast or Town Hall or The Hill. Good times. Great times. And then I'm apparently now a movie maker over at Lifetime. And I look forward to coming back. (laughs) I love the series. Trash Olympics. I love the series. Okay, Derek Hunter, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Derek, as always. Butt stuff. Butt stuff. Yes. Uh, We are coming back with our number duo of the Saturday morning radio extravaganza after we check in with James Flippin and WABC News. Keep it right here, my friends. The Saturday morning radio extravaganza on WABC. Nerdly on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome, my friends, to our number duo of our Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC. If you want to be part of the program today, 800-848-WABC is the number to reach us, 800-848-9222. Derek Hunter, we caught, we thank you as always. Enjoy speaking with Derek. Has no, no, it's disturbing. It truly is disturbing. His this music thing. I mean, Roberta Flack. He said, Roberta Flack and Donny Hathaway sound like everybody else. Half Brit Nick, you weren't even alive when when Donny and Roberta were actually slamming out hit after hit, but you recognize the music and how. Yeah, how great it is. Uh, apparently, where did you first hear? I mean, this is old school music for you, half Brit. I mean, where did you uh, where did you learn all this music? I was lucky to have uh, grown up on a whole lot of great uh, '70s and '80s music from both my parents. But uh, just recently, uh, my grandfather gave me a whole bunch of uh, vinyls as he was moving out of his condo, and I was lucky to come across I think two or three of the uh, Roberta Flack and Donny uh, pressings, and some Aretha, and a bunch of great soul stuff. So I'm, I've been. Uh, Rocking that and sampling that for the past couple of weeks, yeah. Oh, you got some Aretha too. You know what I listened to last Let night? What's that? Jesus. 
I listen to Dr. Feel Good. Nice. Man, yes, I'm your doctor. Feel good. Feel good in the morning. Feel good at night. The thing that Derek said that really topped it off at the end was that if he was going into a record shop, he'd look down on everyone buying the late 70s disco. And we didn't play any disco today. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, <sighs> there's that. James Flippin is here. James, uh, there's a big story this week in Politico. New York and New Jersey agree Governor Phil Murphy is ticking them off. And this is all about the transit situation. New Jersey transit, the congestion tax, the budget. What is going on, James, with with Governor Murphy and transportation, mass transportation, New Jersey, New York? Well, you know, basically, Bo, what's going on here is you've got some sort of Democrat on Democrat crime, if you want to call it that, because the uh, blue officials on either side of the Hudson River right now are not exactly getting along. And it has a lot to do with mass transportation. Now, you sent me uh, some notes about this particular story that kind of, you know, center on the aspect of Governor Murphy and you know, NJ Transit and whether or not taxes should be raised or if fares should be raised with NJ Transit. And that's some of the, you know, kind of levers and pulleys that Murphy has at his disposal when it comes to the pricing of New Jersey Transit and stuff like that, mass transit. But the big thing, and we've talked about this before, uh, both on your program and, you know, doing a lot with the news here on 77 WABC, is congestion pricing. And now for people who don't know about this congestion pricing, which is supposed to start in spring, is supposed to charge motorists an additional $15 for entering Manhattan south of 50th Street or 60th Street, I guess it is. So in essence, what you're talking about is an additional fee, an additional tax toll, whatever you want to call it, on top of what you pay to cross the Hudson River and Murphy. So let's just break this down for a second. So if you come in. If you're coming into New York from the Lincoln Tunnel, if you're coming in from the Holland Tunnel, correct, you're going to have to pay an additional $15 to get into Midtown Manhattan. Yeah, now I think if you're, and, and I should have this in front of me, but I, I'm just going off my memory right now. It's either a $5 discount or a $2.50 discount if you go over uh, the underneath the Lincoln or the Holland Tunnel. So... If you're coming from New Jersey and you come in one of those two tunnels, you do get a little bit of a discount off that $15. So let's say it's $10 more if you're coming right. in. Right. You're um, still going to pay more. You are. No question right. about it. So in essence, what Murphy has said, Governor Murphy, going back to him and kind of his beef with, because it, it, you look at it from the perspective of the New York City officials, they're loving this. They think this is great. Because the MTA, the Metropolitan Transit Authority, is more or less broke. It's got a huge budget deficit, and they need money. They say they need money to upgrade this New York City subway. Because if you've been on a New York City subway train lately, it's not exactly the um, epitome of modernity, let's say. Um, it's, It's crumbling. It's falling apart. These are old trains. They use old signal systems that... Just have green and red lights. You know, other transit systems around the world use, like, automated, you know, programs to actually control trains and stuff like that. So, anyway, there's big problems with the funding side for the MTA, and they look at this as the way to fix it with congestion pricing because they estimate it's going to bring in about a billion dollars a year with this congestion pricing. So, 
what New Jersey has said and why Governor Murphy is opposed to it is all the money goes into the Metropolitan Transit Authority. But that doesn't do anything for NJ Transit. NJ Transit is a separate entity that's not involved with the MTA specifically. Um, the money collected for congestion pricing also does not go towards the Port Authority of New York or New Jersey, which is how those bridges and tunnels are paid for and how Newark Airport is paid for and JFK and LaGuardia and all this kind of stuff. So in essence, this congestion pricing plan is specifically molded for the subways, for the MTA. I guess also Long Island Railroad and Metro North, if you want to include that. But people in New Jersey and some of the elected officials there and also in the outer boroughs of New York are basically saying, you know, this isn't fair because you're billing commuters, you're you're taking the money out of commuters' pockets to pay for something that they might not even really be using in the New York City subway. And it's not fair. Let's just be frank about that. And so and, and here's the other question that I have for you, and, and forgive me if this is more of a political question. And and if it puts you on the spot, don't answer. Okay. But I don't understand, James. As you just said, the budget for the MTA is huge. Okay? The problems that the MTA is experiencing, safety issues. Who wants to ride a subway train when you think you could be mugged, murdered, raped, pillaged, or harassed? Uh, who, who in their right mind wants to deal with that. And then you already have fares that are pricing some people out. So what do you do? Raise the fares even more? And if it's so mismanaged all of these decades, what do they think that adding another billion dollars is going to do to it? All of a sudden change the management of it? Mm. Yeah, well, I, don't, I, I think yeah. that's totally fair. To, to put it that way, and I think a lot of people look at it that way, and whether it's political or just practical, uh, there's a lot of people who look at just the nature of the MTA. And, you know, years ago, I'm talking like before COVID, which almost feels like a different lifetime now, you used to hear a lot of these officials, I think it, including maybe Governor Cuomo, for example, then Governor Cuomo, who would say reforming the MTA is a massive priority. Like, that has to happen. The MTA has to be reformed because it's so sprawling with its bureaucracy. You've got Long Island Railroad. You've got Metro North. You've got the New York City subway. All of these massive and very important agencies. And it, it's not even worth getting into, you know, how the MTA got created back in, like, you know, the 70s or whatever it was when, you know, the New York City subways were broke back then. But in essence, with this latest situation, I think what's really worth noting also, just because the math works out almost so perfectly, they estimate that with turnstile jumping, for example, people who just don't pay for the New York City subway, that probably costs the MTA an estimated $1 billion per year. Boom. Crime. So there you go. In essence, they're saying, oh, well, we can't really do anything about the turnstile jumping, so let's get this billion dollars from congestion pricing. Right. And it's like, you know what? The problems aren't going away. Like you said, Bo, it's kind of a festering situation that needs to be repaired and instead, surprise, surprise, the answer from this group of elected officials in Albany and New York City is throw some more money at it. The story is in Politico this week. You can check it out. Thank you for that, James. So let's talk uh, football for a moment, James. Okay. yeah. Uh, so the Giants are going to be in the playoffs this weekend. Oh, wait. <laughs> no, they're, no, they're not. Maybe at a golf course somewhere in uh, South Florida or something <laughs> like that. Uh-huh. 
So, uh, what's the NFL looking like this weekend, Ed? Uh, James? Well, you know, Bo, there's actually some controversy involved in that that you may or may not be aware of because uh, the first game uh, that will be played today is the Browns taking on the Texans, which is more, you know, not so controversial, although it's interesting that Joe Flacco is uh, sort of back from, well, you know, look, some plenty of uh, football fans in Cleveland are obviously uh, hoping against hope that somehow their team can make a run this year. But I will say this, the Kansas City Chiefs and Miami Dolphins game is only going to be on Peacock, NBC's streaming platform. So if you're somebody around the U.S. and here in New York who doesn't have Peacock, you are not going to be able to watch that game tonight. That that Chiefs Dolphins game, which is a you know pretty good game on paper, you're not going to be able to watch it unless you get Peacock. So the whole streaming uh, wars continue, so to speak. These companies are desperate that, to get people signed up minute. for their platform. Yeah. Wait a minute. So you mean to tell me that people that live in in either Miami or Kansas or wherever, unless they sign on to this Peacock thing, they get no. Well, the, they the, their can. team they can't if you're in the oh, local market. They'll see it in their local market exactly. So they'll be able to get okay. it on their NBC affiliate. But if you're okay. in say California or New York and you want to watch that game because it's you know again the defending Super Bowl champions taking on the surging Miami Dolphins. Forget it. Unless you have Peacock, you're not watching it. So, you know, again, some people are sort of up in arms about that. It's just kind of the continuing landscape of the TV thing these days, which is kind of weird. Sometimes you got to get that special app to be able to watch something. And so who, who are the Cleveland Browns playing? The Houston Texans. Oh, yeah, them. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it, I guess you're right. From like a cachet perspective, it's really not. But what I will say is this, the ageless wonder, Joe Flacco, who is, we went to the same college, the University of Delaware. He's also a New Jersey guy, by the way, Joe Flacco is, I think he's either 39 or 40 years old now. And he was like sitting on his couch midseason. The Browns had so many injuries at quarterback. They're like, you know, we need somebody. And they called up Joe Flacco. He came and started playing for them and he's been great. I mean, he has just been off the charts playing great football for them. So um, it will be interesting to see if that turns into a pumpkin as they get into the playoffs here. And then Wow. The, I, I had no idea because I, I don't follow the NFL that closely. Yeah, well, I mean, he won a Super Bowl in the past as the Ravens quarterback. But I'm talking like... I, yeah, I remember that. That was when that other guy there, the guy that was... Uh, what was his name? The, uh, the guy that was uh, in jail before. Oh, Ray Rice. Yeah, Ray Lewis. Oh, Ray Lewis. That goes Ray back Rice? even oh, yeah. yeah, Ray Rice. When you Rice, say I don't NFL in jail, it could be any number of thousands <laughs> oh, of people, I mean, but Yeah. That, and well. I'm actually not sure that Ray Rice did ever actually get uh in like legal trouble with that whole situation. But anyway, um yeah, so Joe Flacco's thirty eight years old. He's from Audubon, New Jersey, graduate of the University of Delaware, and uh he'll be slinging it today for those Browns. But then you gotta have Peacock if you're gonna watch the game tonight. So that's what I'll say okay. about the NFL. And then what happens next week? <clears throat> What happens next week? Uh, well, uh, there is a certain, uh, NFC East squad that, um, yeah, who, who? <laughs> those Dallas Cowboys. I, I gotta tell oh! you. Oh, you Bo, mean, wait a minute, wait a minute, excuse me. Do you mean the division champion Dallas Cowboys? Yes, yes. They, they, that's, to, that'll be tomorrow. They take on the Packers tomorrow there in Dallas. So, 
that that NFL wild card action will include those Dallas Cowboys, and that's the Green Bay Packers. Uh, talk about a classic rivalry. I mean, Packers Cowboys tomorrow at four thirty. You can't beat that. Yeah, and that bothers me because the Packers have actually, when it comes to playoffs, they've kind of been kicking Dallas butt over the years. Yeah. Yeah, I remember one game in particular going back several years where Aaron Rodgers was was still there in Green Bay, and some play where he rolled out left, uh, kind of throwing across his body along the sideline, and an incredible completion, and it was just one of those like, geez, you know, how are the Cowboys going to lose this game this time? And that was it. Uh, but I'm telling you, I think I believe the Cowboys are finally going to make a run again this year. Let well, me hear you say partying. it again. You're going to be say partying it again. like it's 1994 in uh, in in Dallas uh, because again, I do think that this team. I don't know why. I'm not sure, but it's just like it feels like it's this year that they're going to make a run at it. So we'll say. All right. Let me ask you one other NFL question. Yeah. Before we leave, Bill Belichick. Mm. Well, um, gone from the Patriots, 24 crazy. seasons, six yeah. Super Bowl wins, and it was an supposedly an amicable split. But, boy, there's a lot of nastiness underneath all of this, isn't there? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I think that if nothing else, it just goes to show you that almost nothing can ever end, like, well, right? Like, it, you, you either um, just kind of go out in a blaze of glory or you stay long enough for somebody to blame you for the downfall. Because as good as the Patriots have been for those 24 years, it's been pretty rough lately. And obviously, ever since Brady left, yeah. Uh, they they haven't they had suck. yeah they haven't had to play a quarterback that you need to to really be one of the top teams in the NFL so we'll see Good. what happens I think that if nothing else it made sense for the Patriots considering they're going to have a top pick this year to kind of reset you know Robert Kraft I guess you know has to look at it like look Belichick's not going to coach for another twenty years right so you got to find somebody that's going to be the um man and now they've they've brought somebody in uh who was a part of their coaching staff and is considered a, a real rising star amongst the coaching ranks Gerard Mayo has been named as the head coach for the Patriots now so um we'll see I don't think anybody would be surprised if they you know don't get back to their level of prominence because I mean few teams and few dynasties have ever ranked as successful as this Patriots one did but uh, I also think Belichick, will, he'll be coaching somewhere next year. There's been rumored, like, San, uh, I was going to say San Diego, but it's L.A. now. Um, the Chargers, you know, maybe the Falcons. I've heard Commanders being bandied about as a rumor. Commanders? But, yeah. yeah. The, well, Bill Belichick, coach of the Comanches. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> he is a guy. He went to Annapolis High School. You know, he grew up. Uh, his dad was a coach with the Naval Academy. So oh, I didn't know that. Maybe yeah. return and then, to the and then you got and and then they didn't Washington get rid of that that uh, coach out there too that guy yes. Pete with his face uh, Ron Rivera they they canned Ron Rivera and uh, they're definitely in the market for a new head coach like I said the Falcons are looking for one um, L A Chargers they have a vacancy at head coach so um, the the Raiders they're they're a possibility the Las Vegas Raiders that would be kind of interesting if Bill Belichick mm. ends up there so. We'll see. We'll see. I, I doubt you've heard the last of Bill Belichick. I will say that. Yeah. And uh, so New York has a nice little postseason uh, vacation. And, uh, yes, yeah, some of us are very happy about that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Although I guess Aaron Rodgers is not quite on vacation yet with the Pat McAfee show. He was supposed to be done for the season through the Super Bowl, and then he made a, a reappearance on Thursday to talk about the Belichick thing. So who knows i guess the the jets can still wait and see what kind of drama ensues with aaron rodgers
Yeah. The Jets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Watch it at home, guys. Uh, <laughs> James Flippin, as always. Good luck to your always. Cowboys, Bo. Thank you so much. And this I totally mean sport. that. My fingers aren't my fingers aren't crossed at all right now. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, James, always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks, Thank Bo. you so much. James Flippin, WABC News. This is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Keep it right here. By the way, your phone calls are coming up. So keep it right here. Police take us in. You recognize that voice anywhere from Sting, right? This is from their first album, I think, yes. You know what? January 13th, 1978, the police go into the studio. Their budget is less than $2,000, which is nothing. You can't even do a demo for 2000 bucks. a good demo. And they come out with So Lonely, Roxanne, can't stand losing you, their debut album. And, of course, the police become a mega, mega group. WABC Talk Radio 77, Saturday morning. It's our radio extravaganza. Oh, you know what? My nephew TJ and I recorded a podcast. It's going to come out soon. And we did a podcast. It's part one. Looking at the whole Star Wars franchise. Because news came last week that Star Wars is hiring some anti-male feminist type producer to do the next bunch of movies. And that's turning out to be a really interesting podcast series. We may have to do two or three more. So that's just a heads up. It's not out yet. It'll be out soon. But you can always download the podcast to our weekday show. Both Snurdy's Rush Hour, and of course, our Saturday morning show. Red Apple Media, Red Apple Podcast. You can find podcasts from everybody on WABC. We urge you to get the WABC app and check it out. Coming back right after this. Saturday morning radio extravaganza is in your ears. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. The Who bring us back. On this day in 2003, Pete Townshend was arrested on suspicion of child porn offenses. Police impounded seven computers from his home. And they did find some child porn on him. He said he was researching. He was yeah, he was trying to research child porn to fight it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this guy has had an amazing... Uh, this guy. There's something a little off with... I, I, well, okay, enough of that. Let's head to the telephones. People have been waiting. Let's go to uh, Ina in Manhattan. Manhattan and Ina. Welcome to our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. 
How are you? Thank you, Mr. Boa. And Happy New Year for the best. Happy New Year. Year. Yes. Yes. I just want to comment on, you, you were talking about the stars. Mm-hmm. And I want, I want to say that Michael Jackson is the best star. He started young at five years old. And the next one is Whitney Houston. She started in church young too. And they are both my favorite. That's what wow. I want to comment. Yeah. Well, thank you. And they are both amazing performers. You know, um, I love Michael Jackson. I have since I was a kid. Uh, I, I came up during the Jackson 5 phenomena. And I will tell you that there, when you listen to Michael Jackson's performances as a child, for instance, if you listen closely to his vocal performances like on I'll Be There, and if you listen, there was, a B, there was the B-side of I Want You Back is a record that um, that was a cover record that Michael Jackson, who's, who's Loving You. And when you listen to Michael Jackson's performance at age 9 or 10, whatever he was then, on Who's Loving You, he sings with the style and the inflections of a polished singer that has been singing for 30 or 40 years. It was astounding to me then to listen to him as a performer. It's even more astounding now. And then he went through that phase where his voice changed, and you could hear his voice changing in between records. This was when he was first launching his solo career with Got to Be There, when he reaches almost a falsetto. His voice completely changed when he became an adult, and he became a different kind of singer, a more stylist singer, but with an impact that was just, it's amazing as a singer. There's nobody else like Michael Jackson, and as a performer. Now, I would never say he's the greatest singer of all time, because you listen to other singers. If you listen to Stevie, who also started young, and you listen to his growth, if you listen, if you go back and you listen in different genres and different times, I still love listening to like Johnny Hartman and John Coltrane's album. To me, it's one of the most classic albums of all time. Um, but he's a crooner. I love Frank Sinatra. I think Frank Sinatra, Frank Sinatra was the first pop star of the real first pop star. But what Frank Sinatra did as a singer, as a vocalist, I think is underrated. He was an amazing vocalist. If you go back and then you listen to the likes of the Ella Fitzgeralds, the Billie Holidays, if you go back and you listen to other vocalists, they've been amazing. I think the vocalists from Chicago have been underrated in terms of their vocal performances. Um, everybody knows the Beatles. Paul McCartney is a just not just songwriter, but his put now does he have the kind of range that other people no, but he's an amazing singer. And if you keep there are so many uh and there are so many that are unknown. There is a woman, um, and I'm just having a, a brief mental block, who's in the jazz um world. And I listen to her sometimes. She's not very widely known. But her voice, I gotta, I gotta get this block out of my mind so I can tell you who she is. Um, and she is 
among the best I've ever heard. Not widely known. Uh, but then, you know, Raquel Farrell, Rochelle Farrell, she's amazing. And her voice is like an instrument. She's not widely known at all. There are so many. That's one of the things you love about music. There's always new new music to explore and new and new performance. But Ina, thank you so much for the call. We're gonna take a quick break. Come back. More of your calls coming up. But right now it's time for the morning dance. We are halfway through. Oh, the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. So this is the point where we get out of our seats. Shake, move the body. Half Brit Nick is up dancing. TJ is up. I'm up. We're all up. And we're all grooving. Tespira Gyra. And the name of the song is Morning Dance here on WABC. The Saturday morning radio extravaganza. We are so glad that you are here, that you wake up with us. And that you keep us with you on Saturday mornings. And we encourage you to stick around. Princess Di will be coming up. America's Princess of Policy. Rhonda Schrock will be coming up. America's Small Caffeinated Mom. And, of course, your telephone calls here on WABC. The Saturday morning radio extravaganza. John Morgan of Morgan & Morgan. For over 35 years, my mission has been to deliver more for our clients. Today, Morgan & Morgan has more offices, more staff, and more lawyers than any other injury firm in the world. Visit ForThePeople.com for an office near you. The Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. James, welcome aboard. Nice to see you again, sir. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Hello, friends. Y'all listening to the Saturday morning radio track games here on WABC Talk Radio here up in New York, up here in Yankee Country. Now, now, most of the time, folk, when y'all hear this, when, when you hear this particular music, I know m- many of you grew up there, up in New York area. Y'all thought that this song was from. Uh, 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 the W, the, they, they had a raid, Channel 9 used to have this thing called the, the Million Dollar Movie. And they used to play this music with the Million Dollar Movie. And y'all thought that that was where it was from. No, this song, this thing playing right now, is actually called Terrace Theme. And from Gone with the Wind. Now, if you don't know what Gone with the Wind was, well, you don't know your history, do you? Gone with the Wind tells a story about the Deep South. The South in America. Back when Democrats used to run the South, 
with an iron fist. Yeah, see, Democrats, ever since Tom, Thomas Jefferson, Democrats had, like, you know, them black people. We call them blacks now. We had other names for them back then, in words and so forth and so on. Negro, quadroon, mulattoes, stuff like that. We've been calling them people names forever. But anyway, back when Democrats had iron fists, in the South, because they controlled the end population, we have had, you know, come on, man, where my music, boy? You got to keep this thing rolling. I lost my thing. You make me lose my place. Got this Brit boy in here. Anyway, thank you. Like I was saying, Back when Democrats was running the South and we had the end population under control, we had things, I mean, America was very different back then because Democrats, you know, look, we had our enforcers, the Democrat Party, had Ku Klux Klan and all that. We kept them people in line. Okay, and then them damn Republicans came in, start talking about freedom, slaves and all that stuff, and they did it. Republicans came in, wasn't for Republicans, we wouldn't have had that civil rights bill back in 1964. Democrats, we did our best, the Democrat Party did our best to stop that civil rights bill from passing. Sat up and filibusted that thing, but Republicans made sure that we passed the civil rights bill and let them end people free from Democrat Party rule, they thought. But we've still run the cities. We still run everywhere where black people oppress now. Democrats, we still got our hand tight on their throats. Don't be fooled. Now, there's a reason that I'm playing this today, ladies and gentlemen. Jerry Netler, he's from up there in Yankee country. He kind of let something slip, and we're a little sad that he let this thing slip. And Jerry, you should have known better. You're not supposed to go public with this kind of stuff. Jerry Nettler on Thursday said that the reason that we like illegal aliens, illegal immigrants is what he said, Jerry said the reason that we like to have so many of them illegal immigrants come into the country is to pick the vegetables and keep them from rotting. That's right. He said, we need these illegal immigrants in this country. Boy, don't you know? Never forget the fact that all vegetables would rot to the ground if they weren't being picked by these immigrants, by these illegal immigrants. We need these illegal immigrants to come and pick the vegetables and pick the fruits just like we needed those end people to pick the cotton. We needed that cotton picked, and what did we do? We had them blackies, them darkies. Oops, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. We had them people picking that cotton, and yes, indeed, we made out like bandits. And now 
Now we need them illegals to come in here and pick these vegetables. What, you expect Americans to pick these vegetables? Y'all think Americans? No, we need people that want to come out and work in the sun. They don't mind having their back browned by the sun. We need them picking these vegetables and so forth and so on. And not just vegetables, we need fruits too. And y'all people up in America, y'all been eating some different kind of fruits lately. It used to be y'all just ate some apples and some oranges. Now your people's eating all these avocados. You're putting avocados on toast. You're putting avocados in everything. You're making guacamole dip and having them with some, some Pepsi chips. What do they call them things? Uh, uh, what they call them chips that Pepsi makes? Uh, 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 I don't know the name of Anyway, you know them chips that got all kind of lime in it, got all kind of stuff in them chips now. Them to- yeah, well, what is your half wit? What, what kind of chips? Tostitos. That's the ones. Them, them daggone Tostito, Tostito chips. And people putting avocado and all that kind of stuff on them. And lately, y'all people been actually starting to ingest mangoes. Well, now, who, who you think gonna pick all that fruit? We ain't gonna get, we ain't gonna get Generation Z to go out there and work and pick that fruit. And we show as heck, ain't gonna get them in people to kick, we're not gonna get them to pick no fruit no more. They got tired of us with that cotton thing. So we need, that's what Jerry, Jerry Nat would say, we need y'all Hispanics to step up to this plate. We need to bring y'all from Central America, from South America, just cross that border, never mind the law, and come up here and pick them fruit and them vegetables. Because we need our avocado toast, and we need our spinach and avocado dip. Okay? And we need that fruit, and we need the vegetables picked, because we don't want to go rotten. And so, that's why... We support illegal immigration, never mind the fact that we also want them people to vote, and we want them to vote for Democrats. And we want them people, because we need them people, because don't nobody else really want to vote for us anymore. Look, Joe Biden was just down there in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and then people booed him. You got to know, them people told Joe Biden he was a, he was, them people told President Biden, they call him a loser. And told him, go home. Go back to Hunter. Go back to Jill. Take your butt home. Take your raggedy old butt home. You imagine that, them telling them that president of the United States. But look here, long story short, Jerry Nadler let the cat out the bag. And we don't appreciate that so much, Jerry. Look, we know this. And you know we ain't supposed to talk about it. We want them illegal aliens here. We want them illegals here because we need somebody to pick the fruit and pick the vegetables that nobody else going to pick. And the rest of y'all, y'all now, even though he let the cat out the bag, please don't complain about it. And please just stop talking all this crap about illegal aliens and all this stuff because we need them peoples. We need somebody to do the work that y'all don't want to do. And since them Republicans tried to let back people free. We need some replacement. That's what that we're talking about. The replacements. <laughs> yeah. Hispanics are the replacements. And y'all stop messing with them replacements and stop fussing about them. Unless you want your avocado toast to go away. All right. That's it. We're going to take a break here. Both snarly rush out. Come back. The ABC talk radio 77. It's Saturday morning. Yeah, good morning. Y'all. We'll see you later. Bye. We'll be back with Saturday morning. 
I just got to go now. Go have my avocado toast. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Heavenly birthday today for Fred White, drummer, earth, wind, and fire. It was... January 1st of last year that Fred White transitioned, went to join Maurice, but the music of Earth, Wind, and Fire still lives on. Earth, Wind, and Fire, one of the most amazing bands in the history of the world. Heavenly birthday today, Fred White. Earth, wind, and fire. Let's head back to the telephone, shall we? Frank in Staten Island, thank you for waiting and thank you for being part of the program. How are you this morning? How are you doing? Good morning. Yeah. Okay. So talk about the music earlier. You're talking about like how a song can be a hit. Well, there, there are other really, really good songs that don't become hits. So I'll give you an example. This month, January, is the 50th anniversary of the Sundown album by Gordon Lightfoot. You know, oh. songwriter, right? Now, oh. Sundown became a... Sundown became a number one hit, number one. But my favorite song from that album is called The Seven Island Suite. And I play it on my 12-string guitar. That's a remarkable song. And, you know, but there are, I guess there are various reasons why Sundown became much more of a hit to other people than The Seven Island Suite, which I love way much more. And that's just the way it goes. And then and what about, uh, uh, the one at the song about the highway? Is a very nice song that's on that album. Um, there's a beautiful Christmas song that's on that album. Um, that whole, that album became the biggest thing in his in his career, really. And he recently passed away last year. Gordon Lightfoot was amazing, and I love him. And of course, the song that I love about him, uh, the song that I love from him the most, um, if you could read my mind, it's, it's, it's a thousand. Yeah, it's just a beautiful. It's just a beautiful. He was just an amazing artist. So and I have never listened to the Seven Island Suite, so I'm going to have to go listen to it on the basis of your suggestion. There are so many songs like that, so many album cuts that you say, "Wow, why wasn't this one the hit?" And um, so I'm glad to know that. And one of these days, again, I just have this fantasy about doing the non-hit hit show, the songs that should have been hits that weren't hits from all over. So I'm going to have to listen to the Seven Island Suite. Thank you. For the heads up on that. 
Let's go to Rick in New Jersey. Rick, you're on the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. How are you? Good, James. How are you doing? Um, I got some science for you and for Derek, who I missed. But first, I want to tell you real quick, I was listening to you talking about the BJs last night, and I thought, oh, the BJs, and I thought, he must be about the same age I am. So I asked Siri how old you were, and it said, James Golden was born in 1901 and is 123 years old. I try to keep it a secret. <laughs> you look amazing, <laughs> let me tell you. Siri, thank you. Siri just blew it for me. Yeah. So listen, this is for Derek. He asked about sea level rise. It's mm-hmm. seven inch, It's seven inches per century, and it's not speeding up like the climate alarmists say. It's a steady seven inches per century. It would take hundreds of years to warm up the ocean enough to make sea level rise speed up. So it's pretty much impossible for that to happen. And wow. About the, states, about the states that might be sinking, um, yes. we have uh, isostatic adjustment from having glaciers. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. What did you just call an iso, isostatic adjustment? A isostatic adjustment. Isostatic adjustment. Okay. That's because we had glaciers two miles high over North America, which is a lot of weight in ice, and it crushes mm-hmm. down on the land, and it makes the land to the north and the south of it rise. And then when that ice melts, the states down south, like Florida, Georgia, and whatnot, they start to sink because it's like a seesaw effect. But that takes mm-hmm. thousands of years. That takes thousands of years to get like one foot of sinking or rising. So that's even slower than sea level rise. Well, that's not what I read this morning. And I'm looking for the story as we speak. And if I don't find it, I'll find it during the break. And the story that is up and down the seacoast of the East Coast seacoast, up and down the East Coast seaboard, the cities, because of the weight of the buildings, are actually causing cities to to sink further and further down and making them prone to flooding. And so that is uh that's a different kind of scenario than you just laid out. So I'll, here it is, I found the story. Um it says East Coast cities are sinking at an alarming rate. New research warns the impacts are real. New research reveals dramatic concern that the Big Apple, that would be New York, Long Island, and many more Atlantic coastal regions faced an inevitable risk of sinking under the weight of their buildings at an alarming rate. It affects you and I and everyone. It may be gradual, but the impacts are real, says Virginia Tech professor and researcher Mano Shirazi. Other metropolitan areas like Baltimore, Maryland, along with Norfolk and Virginia Beach and Virginia were also flagged as worrisome coastal areas prone to dangerous flooding as a result of the sinking land. And what they're saying is uh, these, these, it's sinking two millimeters per year in many areas. 
and that's going to impact 2 million people, 800,000 properties on the East Coast, and people should be alarmed. So you may want to look into that story and see how you, you um, how that ties into what you're saying, Rick. Well, those facts are basically true, and it all depends on what, is the bedrock or the foundation of what your buildings are on. And of course, if you stack millions of tons of concrete and steel on top of land, it's going to make it sink a little bit. So I wouldn't argue with any of that. I would only check that their facts are right, whether it's two millimeters or one millimeter. Wow. Okay. So you're not even arguing with that. Okay. We got to take a quick break. We have no break. Thank you. So we can continue with the phone calls coming up, by the way. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate it. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to hear from the Princess of Policy, America's Princess, Princess Di, and we're also going to hear from America's small caffeinated mom, Rhonda Schrock. Right now, more of your telephone calls. Let's continue with John in Staten Island. Hi, John. Hi, Bo. How are you? Good morning. Uh, Good morning. I just wanted to mention, I wanted to mention Elvis um, and how amazing he is and I was never really a fan of him growing up um, until I watched his movie. And then when I watched his movie, it got me to it intrigued me to listen to his music and Google him and watch him online. And like I said, I was never really a fan, but I just started analyzing him and I, and I came up with my own assumption of him. The way he used to dance was his emotion coming out of his body and Unchained Melody. Um, if you ever listen to that, if I ever listen to it on the radio, before I watched the movie, I would just go buy it. And then once I watched him sing that movie and seen that, uh, uh, seen the emotion and see, watched it live, like on Google, the emotion that comes out of him changed that whole song to me. And now when I hear it, I'm like, oh, I got to listen to this. So I, I, I absolutely love Elvis. I thank and you for that. Thing. Elvis Presley was one in a million. I mean, there's a reason that Elvis Presley's called the king of rock and roll. In fact, a report that was issued in 2005 on this day showed that more songs had been written about Elvis Presley than any other recording artist. 220 songs, including Graceland by Paul Simon, A Room at the Heartbreak Hotel by U2, Calling Elvis, Dire Straits, Happy Birthday Elvis, Loudon Wainwright, there's a Guy works down at the chip shop, swears he's Elvis, Christy McCall. I saw Elvis in a UFO. Elvis has left the building. My dog thinks I'm Elvis. All these songs. More songs written about Elvis Presley than any other recording artist in history. Go ahead, John. Um, uh, also, and another thing that impressed me about his life, and also made me want to be become a fan of it, he was so strong and so loved by so many people, and on the low he was taken advantage of. So it, it, he he just amazed me of how he just pushed forward, and I think he was a great man, and I think he deserves uh, some respect today. So that's my that's my call. And Elvis Presley gets respect today. He is still regarded as the king of rock and roll. When people say king of rock and roll, they one name. That name stands by itself, Elvis Presley. Now I happen to think that there are a lot of stories underneath the Elvis Presley story that haven't been told. If you listen to Otis Blackwell, for instance, who wrote some of his songs, and you listen to Elvis, the amazing similarity is there. But that aside, Elvis Presley is who he is. 
And we are where we are on the Saturday morning radio extravaganza, which is our duo in the can, our trio coming up. In the next hour, ladies and gentlemen, our very own princess. And I so look forward to speaking with her, Princess Di. In the next hour, America's small caffeinated mom, Rhonda Schrock, joins us. And, of course, your telephone calls, 800-848-WABC. 800-848-9222. Oh, John Casamitidis just sent me a news story. It's about Taiwan voters defying Beijing. That is an important story. We'll talk about that briefly when we get back. Thanks, John. WABC Talk Radio 77. Our trio coming up. Don't go away. The crown jewel of American radio. And we are at our number three oh on our <laughs> trio on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. So happy you're here on WABC Talk Radio 77. You can reach us 800 848 WABC 800 848 I have to issue a warning. As you may have heard if you were listening the first hour. You know, I've been um <laughs> like almost deaf for three weeks or more. And I, I, I've been to the doctor before. I finally went to another doctor this week. They figured out what was what the issue is. They have me on a steroid now, and the steroid's supposed to take care of the issue. If it doesn't, I gotta have some surgery. But I've also been warned of mood changes. And my doctor specifically told me, he said, Look, you know, you do a broadcast and you may have to be very careful with the things that you say if your mood goes through, if you have these mood changes on this. It's a very powerful steroid. And also he warned me of overeating because apparently this thing increases your appetite like crazy. So I'm, I'm just passing it along. If I, if, if I don't sound quite myself, and I because and, I try not to ever be nasty or mean or anything like that, and I hope that it doesn't. I don't get a mood swing. But anyway, John Casamitidis, John and Margo, of course, owners and operators of WABC, brought this station back. And this station is just performing so well. And it is due to that leadership. And uh, you can, of course, hear John, John and Rita, and you can hear John on WABC every weekday and, of course, on the weekends, too. John sent me a story, and this story is important. It is about the elections in Taiwan. Taiwan voters have defied Beijing in electing their new president. The story's in the Wall Street Journal today. Uh, Wall Street Journal is subscription. Yes, I pay for a subscription. So I just gift unlocked the article and posted it on Twitter so you can read it there uh, at Bo Snerdly, S-N-E-R-D-L-E-Y, at Bo Snerdly, if you want to read the article in the Wall Street Journal. China's least preferred candidate declared victory in Taiwan's presidential vote Saturday after his rivals conceded, and that extends the dominance of the ruling party that Beijing has denounced as a separate 
separatist force, and it raises the specter of four more years of geopolitical tensions around the island democracy. Now, let me just do a quick a quick notation that China has been aggressive. Xi Jinping, the dictator, doesn't like to be called that, but Xi Jinping has quietly amassed as much power in China as Mao Zedong had. He is that effective as a ruler. Nice suit and tie, nice Western-looking guy, but he has spread the influence of China into Africa. He spread it into South America. He has spread it into Panama. China pretty much runs the Panama Canal. Thank you, Jimmy Carter. Right now, which was um, it's a debacle. What we what has happened in shipping, and China is ruthless in terms of using its influence and its economic aid that they have been spending around the world to form policies that are beneficial for China. Xi Jinping recently let it be known that he told Joe Biden to his face when Joe Biden went over to China that it is inevitable that China is going to take Taiwan back one way or another. We have a treaty with Taiwan that says we will come to their defense. So pretty much China told Joe, well, we're going to take it back. Screw you and your treaty. China has also been developing, and this started happening under the Obama administration. China went from having a navy that was subpar to the United States, subpar to Britain, and they have developed a blue water navy that is now in some cases, stronger than the United States Navy. And they have been flexing their muscles in the the South China Sea. They have been actively challenging American ships in the South China Sea. Now, as a response to that, America has reopened military bases in the Philippines that were shuttered. I've been to the Philippines a number of times, and I was at uh, Subic, where we used to have a strong presence at, at Subic. And that's in um, that's near Alangapo. That is near uh, uh, on, on the main island, about two and a half hours out from Manila. We used to have such a presence there, and our presence has diminished. Well, America said, okay, we're going to strengthen our relationship with the Philippines again. And now you have a bunch of the nations in the South Pacific that are concerned because China is flexing their muscles, and they are actually doing exercises, exercises over Taiwan and near Taiwan as a force of intimidation. So this election has consequence. 
And China has already said, a spokesman, this is in the, in the Wall Street Journal, uh, Journal article that John sent along, on Friday, that would be yesterday, a spokesman for China's defense ministry said the Chinese military would, quote-unquote, take all necessary measures to resolutely crush any form of successionist designs for Taiwan independence. They are making threats, people. And unlike others, the Chinese are serious. This this is not, they're not, they used to call us a paper tiger because we would make threats and not have any real force behind it. These guys are planning, and they are letting it be known that they are planning to take Taiwan back. The only president that was successful in dealing with China and their growing ambitions was Donald Trump. He won a trade war against China, largely unreported in the United States because the United States media did not want to give Donald Trump that victory. He backed China up. And, of course, those of you that have been following Donald Trump over the years know that he's always talked about China, China, and how the United States has failed to meet the challenges that were coming from China head on. The only president of either party to actively take on China was Donald Trump. Certainly the Biden administration is doing nothing in the face of Chinese aggression and China's ambitious moves around the world. So heed this story and just put it in in the file. You have not heard the last of this. Hey, thanks for sending that one along, John. Appreciate it. I want to grab a few more calls because we have Princess Di coming up, and we have America's small caffeinated mom, Rhonda Schrock, coming up. And I want to also get the calls, people that have been waiting. Andrew Stanhope, how are you, Andrew? Welcome. Great. I love uh, Elvis and Michael Jackson. And if you're an Elvis fan, watch. It was called Elvis the Early Years. It's not a movie or documentary. It was a Fox series that only lasted one year. But it was excellent. It was the young Elvis from, like, age 18, 19, 17. And uh, right when he was becoming popular regionally, like before the Ed Sullivan show, before he became a national hit, like, That's All Right Mama was a hit, but it was more down south. And it was great, too, because the actor Michael St. Gerard, he plays the young Elvis. And he said that Lisa Marie Presley was sitting in on the casting. And she would also do the narration on the series. And she said, he said that made him nervous. And that, but that actually helped him because he was playing a sweet Elvis at age only 17 not a Vegas Elvis that was all drugged up and uh, flamboyant. And he didn't overdo the accent, too, like with the, you know, most actors, they overdo the Southern accent. So it was a great series. And also the music, the background of the time, gospel, country, the music that was happening at that time when Elvis was coming up. So I love that. I just want to say... (laughs) Also, Diego, I liked. It reminds me of uh, the uh, "It Feels So Good" by Mancioni. 
Chuck Man. Oh, by Chuck, Chuck Mangione, yeah, feels so good. Mm-hmm. It it was really good and professional, and he's a good singer, Diego. But it's you know, it kind of sounds like a young person, thing, but maybe because I know him, like it's confirmation. But but maybe try it with a a professional, like a different older singer, like to hear it or without vocals. But I love that song. And lastly, I just thought. <laughs> You might get a kick out of it because you like Michael Jackson. The uh, actress that appeared with Michael Jackson in The Wiz, she was the Wicked Witch. She banned me from her house in uh, South Orange. (laughs) I was friends with the kids, the twins, her sons. And I really don't remember something to do in the cafeteria. Maybe we started a food fight because Animal House was uh, popular then. And, uh, you know, I was good friends, so I came over, but she you know, shooed me away. <laughs> but life imitates art. Like she was mean and nasty to me. But it was Oh, you know, so she was like the wicked witch in real life. Too. Wow. Andrew, that's <laughs> yeah. an amazing story. Thank you, my friend, for sharing. We appreciate you and love you. Thank you so much. Let's go to John in New Jersey. John, how are you this morning? Welcome to the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Hey, good morning, Bo. Good morning. Good morning. Uh happy new year to you and I uh, just want to say thank that you. you're a uh, great that you're a great individual, Bo. You're, you inspire so many people. I don't even know if you realize that, but you do. You're a good man. Thank you. Um, Bo, just want to let you know, um, in Elizabeth, New Jersey today, they are uh, naming the street after Ed Fletcher, uh, Duke Booty. Um, I don't, and uh, he was involved in writing the, the, the song, The Message, uh, for the Sugar Hill Gang to, I guess, sing and record. I don't know too much about it, but I just thought you'd want to know about that. Well, thank you. Know, we how- played we played a portion of the message earlier today. Today is uh, the anniversary of his death. Uh, Duke Booty died at age 69 on the 13th of January in 2021, better known, as we said, under the name Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. And we played a little bit of that this morning. So thank you. They're naming a street after him. That is just wonderful news. Wow. Thank you so much, John, for sharing that with us. And those of you out in the area, out in Orange, New Jersey, you may want to go and participate. That's great. Thanks for that. Appreciate the call very much. Sal in Staten Island, you're on WABC Talk Radio 77. How are you, Sal? Hey, Bo. God bless you. Sal is Sal Sal from Staten Island. I'll be brief. Well, I'm going to kind of hit a few subjects. First of all, we we're talking about the stars. All those stars like uh, Bella Lugosi and Judy Holliday, I mean, Billy Holiday rather, and uh, Lino, uh, rather, uh, um, uh, Judy Garland, they die so young because they fall into the trap of um, chemical-controlled substance. I say don't turn to chemicals, turn to Christ. And I want to give a shout-out to Staten Island. Whoever decided, Adams, Hochul, and Paris and uh, and Biden to send to put uh, these undocumented strapping young men on Fort Wadsworth, U.S. military base, oldest in the country. They must be on drugs for making that decision. And a shout out to Dr. Esposito and Dr. Powell, South Shore, 51 years, Richmond Valley Animal Practice, best on Staten Island. And you're not going to get pissed. I don't want to piss you off. You're not going to get pissed if I mention uh, info at org. They need money. As I say to you, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said to you, I don't mind you mentioning stuff once or twice, but when it starts to get more than that, you should buy a commercial or have them buy a commercial. This is a business. We're in radio business. 
We sell ads here. So if you want to advertise, feel free. We'd love to take an ad for them on the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Have them contact our salespeople. We can do ads. We'll bring them even more business. We're very effective with that. So, yes, I like people to mention something once or twice. But when it becomes a regular thing and you're going to think you're going to use this show to just do free advertising, no, got to put the foot down. Call our advertising department here at WABC, buy an ad. We'll be happy to put you in. We love advertisers here. We love our advertisers, and we do a great job for them here, too. So absolutely, love you listening, love the calls. You want to advertise something here, buy an ad. Let us go to Helen in Queens, New York. You're up next. Helen, how are you? Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I'm a little nervous, so please forgive me. We wanted to know if you were aware about the city's latest plan to further ruin the quality of life in the city. It's called their City of Yes Rezoning Proposals, and it's under the radar. We haven't heard it at all on any any of the shows on your station. Tell me about it, honey. Tell me. Tell me what's going on. What is it? They want to literally change the zoning laws in all residential communities, that residential communities can now have stores on every corner. They can use one and two family homes. 49% of the home can be used as a business. They want to allow uh, the attics, the basements, the garages, sheds in the yard could be used for apartment renting. And they care nothing about this, uh, the, uh, the zoning laws would go out the window and um, they don't care if there's enough parking for anybody. They don't care about fire safety, and they don't care about the quality of life for people. All right, what who is this? T- tell us the name. Tell us the name of this again. What is the, the name? The city of Yes rezoning proposals. The city of Yes rezoning proposals. Okay. And it's horrendous. It is going to ruin. And and go back to one of your previous calls who was talking about the eastern coast cities are um, sinking. Well. We in Queens, where I am, we live on sand. We live surrounded by water. And uh, if they want to do this, I mean, we won't exist anymore if we really are sinking. Good grief, Helen. How did you find out about this? Strictly by accident. Members of our community happened to just be at a meeting of another community planning board, and it came up, and then he brought it back to our community, and they literally just want to destroy us. Literally. And we're trying to fight it. And many people tell us that there's nothing we can do. But then again, it's under the radar. Nobody is talking about it anywhere. And I was wondering if maybe your news department could even research it and maybe you could take it further. They they claim that there's a city planning um, consultant who is definitely against it. He knows all the reasons why. And he might be a good guest for people, uh, you know, a show like yours. Well, I'm certainly going to look into it, and I thank you. And I'm sure, you know, we have an amazing news department. Noam Layden is our director, and our news guys are awesome. We WABC Radio News is awesome. So I'm sure they're hearing about this, too, and I'm sure people will be looking into this, and we thank you. Thank you so much, Helen. We appreciate you going. And you didn't sound nervous at all. You sounded wonderful, and we love you. Thank you so much. James Golden, it's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC. Coming back. With Princess Di, the Princess of Policy, on WABC. Stay with us.
Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. It's time for Radio Royalty with James Golden and America's Princess of Policy, Princess Di. Ah, yes, ladies and gentlemen, our beloved princess. She doesn't have corgis. She doesn't have kids that run around a pedophile island and then live in big castles. None of that stuff. Straight up royalty with intelligence, beauty, charm, wit, all of that. Her Majesty, Princess Di. No corgis. Hi, Princess Di. Good morning. Good morning, Sir James, and I'm so happy that you're feeling a little better. You sound much better. Well, thank you. Yes, it's, this has been an adventure, I'll tell you that. Um, so, uh, there's a story today, Princess Diana, and I know you want to talk about this. There's a story today that nine Western states could ban homelessness from public areas because the Supreme Court of the United States has agreed to hear a case. And you know one of the people behind the case, Princess Diana? Yes, I do, but tell me. <laughs> Gasm. Governor Gasm. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. <laughs> Gasm, Gasm Newsom, who... Gasm Newsom, when he was mayor of San Francisco, promised to fix the homeless problem. Did he fix it? No. It exacerbated. So they elevate him to become governor. And then homelessness spreads. Every single city in California. Uh-huh. And Gasm does nothing. Nothing. Now, all of a sudden, Gasm wants to Gasm wants to fix homelessness. Why could why Princess Di? Why I ask you, Your Majesty? Why all of a sudden? There's a story today, Princess Di. A TikTok, a TikTok food influencer went to California, San Francisco to do reviews. He left. He said, this is no place for tourists to come. TikTok. He said, this place is too seedy for tourists to be coming to. Be- Why, Princess Di, is Gasm so interested in curing homelessness now? What do you think could possibly be the reason? <laughs> well, this is what makes the story so entertaining. This uh, was a Supreme Court agreement to take a case from Oregon, on Friday, they announced that they will take this case on homelessness. And what's fun about it is not the case itself, which is an important and serious case, but it's all of the liberal mayors who have joined in with their amicus briefs. They have said, yes, we need you to cure homelessness because the courts have made it so difficult for us to cure homelessness. They are blaming some recent court cases in the Ninth Circus for their homeless problems 
which is, you know, endemic to every liberal-run city in America and has been for 30 years. But all of a sudden, it's a huge political problem, as is the border. And so now they are scurrying because their own policies have caused political problems for the Democrat Party. And the the attractive nuisance of drug leniency on crime, leniency on drugs, has brought homeless people or drug users or people with uh, mental problems to flock to these cities because there's no enforcement. There's no legal rousting of these people. They are allowed to set up camps and tents and basically take drugs all day long. And there's no sanitation, as we all know from the California poop maps. But, you know, this has caused crime and lawlessness to just explode in all of these liberal cities. And so now this one case, which is not going to be heard at the Supreme Court until April, and a decision is expected in June, but all of a sudden... The the liberal mayors, uh, there's top officials in all the Western states have just piled on saying, save us, save us from ourselves. And they now are have this talking point that the reason there is homelessness in their own states and their own run cities is because the courts have forced this to be the case. And that's a lie. And you and I remember this from New York. I mean, this was something that under Democrat rule, as it were, in New York City, there would be homelessness everywhere. And then Rudy Giuliani came in, and suddenly this was a solvable problem. And it was a quality of life problem that he tackled, and the the homelessness issue was reduced. Now, I remember in Austin, not too long ago, there was a huge fight between the mayor of Austin and the governor of Texas, and they would go back and forth. The new liberal mayor of Austin allowed homelessness and homeless encampments all over the place in business areas, and the businesses were suffering, and all of the Austinites who had come there because Austin was cool and weird became afraid for their lives, and so they appealed to the governor who then cracked down on homelessness. And then the the uh, liberal mayor of Austin found a workaround and was able to re-encampment the encampments. And it went back and forth. And I think that ultimately the liberals won, quote unquote, in Austin. And Austin is a mess right now. Austin this, is a total mess, right. This, this is the philosophy of liberalism, is not enforcing the law and allowing people to, you know, because it's called camping, it's called, you know, it, it's called a, a status of of homelessness, meaning they, they, they have no choice. And that was what the Oregon uh, ruling was, that this was a cruel, un, an unusual punishment to rouse the homeless people because they, they couldn't help being homeless, which, of course, it has been proved false many, many times when um, municipalities actually address the problem and don't allow 
sleeping on the sidewalks and defecating in the streets. It is solvable as a civic matter. And it has been solved in many areas that are not run by liberals. So, so the contrast for when you go into a liberal city and when you go into a conservative city is remarkable. And you will find what you mentioned, the seediness and the crime and the un- unpleasantness everywhere, grim conditions. And it's, it needs to be hung around the necks of the Democrat Party because this is what they want absolutely what they want until it's election time and they realize their own policies are a problem for them. Well, speaking of election time, we are in the midst now of the political season. Uh, you said you wanted this morning and, and to talk to bring us a liberal crack-up update. I'm so curious. How <laughs> are the liberals cracking up in ways that we may, that I may or may not be aware of? Well, you know, that is the thing. I always like to to bring cheerful news to to your audience. And you always hear about the Republican Party crack-ups. The uh, Republican Party has been transformed in Trump's image to a cult, blah, 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 blah. But the real crack-up is on the left. And one of the reasons is, I've mentioned before, this almost evenly divided party between supporting Israel and supporting the Palestinian people. And for the first year, as I mentioned to you last year, the uh, Gallup polling showed that the Democrats were more supportive of the Palestinian cause than Israel for the first time in history. So only 38 percent of the Democrat Party voters support Israel, as opposed to the Republican Party, which is 78 percent. So you have this fight going on in Congress, in every single Democrat organization. And the the fun part I just read was in The Hill yesterday. The climate movement splinters as activists target Israel. There's all these activist groups that are used in you know service of the Democrat Party. If you remember when BLM was the cause, all of the other leftist groups supported BLM. Well, now all the leftist groups are supporting Hamas and the Palestinian cause. And so this, this uh, sad writer in the Hill, he's a 24-year-old environmentalist who supports uh, Israel, he is pleading with the environmentalist movement is is just to allow, you know, other points of view on the Middle East in the environmentalist. He said we should all be agreeing to save the environment together and, and not be distracted by this. But this entire call, you've got Greta who's calling for chance force in support of uh, attacking Israel. You've got crushed Zionism chance. She was leading at a climate rally, Greta Thunberg. So this right. is now the intersectionality of anti-Israel is pouring through all the Democrat activist groups. And this is not setting well with a lot of the uh, constituencies of those groups. So you're, to me, this has been a really you know, healthy thing. This fight needs to be had. And in in the Democrat Party, it is really hurting them. Plus, I read this long, I'm not going to recommend it, but it's called 
why the left is losing a winnable, winnable election. It was in an um, erudite publication called Compact. And really, a long academic explanation, but he is pointing out that they are the Democrats are losing because they have lost the working class, which was always a Democrat stronghold. And now they really, with progressivism on the rise within the Democrat Party, they are unable to grow their party because normal people, he does not say this, that's what I say, normal people look at the the nonsense that is coming out of the Democrat Party and they're saying, we want no part of it, we're not voting for you, including traditional Democrat voters. So there's been all kinds of signs that their activist groups are having a a problem and, and writ large in the election, including things at the border, things in the homeless uh, situation legally, and all their other policies are coming home to roost. Wonderful news. Thank you, Princess Diana. Look, I want to uh, ask you to come on one day during the week, and let's talk about what's going on in the House with the Speaker and the Republicans and all that kind of crap. And also, maybe what we should do is do it right after Iowa, uh, after yeah. the caucus is over, okay? So this week, I let's talk. I would love that. I would love okay. that. Thank you, Your Highness. WABC. Thank you. WABC, that's Princess Di, ladies and gentlemen. Coming back. Your call's coming back. America's small caffeinated mom, Rhonda Schrock. As we take our Saturday morning extravaganza into the home stretch. Simply read on WABC. Saturday morning radio extravaganza. James, welcome aboard. Nice to see you again, sir. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. We had a caller earlier that talked about the remarkable Gordon Lightfoot, so we thought we'd play a little bit of Gordon's. This is my favorite Gordon Lightfoot song. You could read my mind, love. What a tale my father. Oh, gosh, I love this record so much. Just like an old I used to listen to this over and over again. I used to binge on this record. Uh, in music today also, today, 1968, Johnny Cash recorded his live album at Folsom Prison. That album is Americana. Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison. Also, today is the heavenly birthday of one of America's greatest guitar players ever. That would be the virtuoso guitarist, Joe Pass. Joe Pass worked with Frank Sinatra, Sarah Vaughan, Johnny Mathis, Duke Ellington, Dizzy Gillespie, Ella Fitzgerald, a lot of TV shows, including The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, The Steve Allen Show. He was, oh, Joe Pass. Amazing. So let's get back to the phones really quick. And Gracie in Rockland County. Gracie, how are you? Gracie, my Gracie. I'm good. First, happy birthday, greatest one in heaven. I'm sorry Rush I'm a day Limbaugh. late. Rush Thank Limbaugh, you. the greatest one. 
They they could be great, but he was the greatest. He brought talk radio to where it is. Now, why I'm calling, I'm calling because how I'm thinking, how did we in four years get to this place in the United States of America? Who are the evil forces? This is mind-boggling. Every aspect of what's going on is mind-boggling. Who are the evil ones that that are allowing this to happen? I know I might sound like a nut, but I can't believe... No, no, that is not sounding like a nut. Look, when you look at what's going on, when you look at the atrocious living conditions that are happening in American cities, when you look at the number of people that have been forced to flee some of these cities to actually have a decent life elsewhere. When you look at the failing schools, when you look at the drug use, the fentanyl use and what it's doing, when you look at the out-of-control borders, then when you look at the lawlessness that's allowed by these Soros prosecutors turning criminals out on the street, then you look at what Joe Biden and company have done to the economy, the rising costs. Then you look at the attacks that they are making on your way of life. You can't have a gas stove. You can't have a gas leaf blower. You can't have gas long equipment. You have to have an electric car. The mandate's there. When you look at everything that they are doing, including all the stuff that they did with COVID that is still impacting this society, and that's just the beginning of it. You could go in depth in almost every single area of life and find things are twisted. Gracie, you do not sound like a nut. You sound like all of us who are wondering, we are perplexed. Don't you people see what you are doing to the greatest nation on the face of the earth? Why are you people actively trying to destroy America, to destroy our way of life, to destroy our Constitution, to destroy capitalism, which has brought prosperity to the world like no other system of government have? Why are these people so hell-bent on doing this? And at the same time, they are doing this. They are also telling young boys and girls that they are boys and girls, that they can be, that they can be surgically manipulated into being something else. They are doing everything possible to destroy the foundations of freedom, of liberty, of justice, the attacks on Donald Trump. From day one, the lies, the collusion stories, Everything that these people have been doing the last few years is one word, evil. No, Gracie, you don't sound like a nut. Ditto, ditto, ditto. Thank you, my darling. Love you. I love you. We gotta Bye. Love you, too. We got to go to a break. America's Small Caffeinated Mom. Rhonda Schrock coming up on the other side. If you're on hold, stay on hold. We're going to try to grab a call or two when we get out, too. So... This Johnny Cash, one piece at a time on WABC. Well, I left Kentucky back in 49 and went to Detroit working on assembly line. The first year they had me putting wheels on Cadillacs. Every day I'd watch them beauties roll by and sometimes I'd hang my head and cry. Cause I always wanted me one that was long and black.
the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Also, just want to give a birthday shout-out to my man, Trace Atkins. I met Trace. One of my dear friends was his music director, and I spent some time with Trace Atkins, American country singer and actor. What a great guy. And uh, this one is for you, Derek. It's uh, Roberta Flack and Donnie Hathaway. On WABC Talk Radio 77, it is time, ladies and gentlemen, for America's small caffeinated mom, Rhonda Schrock. Hi, Rhonda. Good morning, James. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Well, I had to think about that old Snickers commercial when you were talking about the side effects of your steroids. You're not mm-hmm. yourself when you're when you're hungry. So the answer is a Snicker bar, so you're not hangry anymore. Did you see those? <laughs> oh yeah, and I don't eat. I'm not eating candy. I'm. I'm I got to stay away from stuff because you know, the last time I did steroids, I gained eighty pounds and I never lost oh, the weight. No. And that was when I had double pneumonia. So I got to be careful. It's a necessary evil. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yes. So what is, yeah, we, yes, your essay this week, my dear Rhonda, what is on your mind this week? Well, I was thinking this week about fear and worry. Um, Because of everything that's going on in our country, there's a lot going on. I, I saw an interesting article by the Epoch Times where one of their reporters visited the Pennsylvania State Fair, and she just walked around uh, to see what people were eating, you know, at the agriculture show, and she asked them what were their hopes and fears for the country and its future. And I think the Pennsylvanians summed up what a lot of Americans feel. They listed things like government overspending, the future of U.S. food production, election integrity, executive overreach, what is being taught in the schools. Um, A broader look at headlines uh, will reveal, and you talk about this a lot, the rising crime rates uh, in our area. uh, We're a heavily manufacturing uh, area, and we're seeing layoffs. The factories are dropping in hours. People are suffering. Um, Of course, one of the things that is highly concerning to me are these political persecutions. And as I thought about all of that, well, and this is all as we're on the cusp of an election and it's already highly divisive and very heated. It feels like our collective behinds are sitting on a powder keg and we can see the match from here. And I Mm. thought about a, a quote that I heard years ago and it went like this. There's a lot to be concerned about, but there's nothing to worry about. Hmm. And at first, yes, at first that didn't really make sense to me. But over the years, I have come to see the truth of that. So worry, if you look it up, is um, when you're afflicted with mental distress or agitation. Probably most people know what that feels like. It can also be to grab something with your teeth like a dog with a bone and, and you just don't let it go. So I thought about that because my I've got to confess, I have been an inveterate worrier my entire life. I mean, if my husband was late from the office and didn't call me to let me know, I could have the worst scenario gamed out and polished and edited and ready to print. That's how quick I would jump to the worst case scenario. And it wasn't productive. 
uh, when we bought, I was thinking about our first mortgage and how frightening it was. Those numbers, $35,000 way back in the 80s, was a lot of money for a young couple starting out. And it was scary to sign that mortgage. And then my husband decided to move away to go to college. And I remember driving to college with all our stuff packed in that little tan escort Claim to fame was actually had an air conditioner, and I was crying, saying to my husband, the numbers don't match. Well, then we had all the children, and any parent knows that when you have kids, your opportunities to worry just explode. Well, one day, as a young mother, I was at a Bible study, and the teacher was speaking about the importance of meditation, which is um, like devotional contemplation and prayer. And she just dropped this comment in the middle of her speech. She said, if you are a worrier, you will be good at meditating because worry is just meditating on the wrong things. So... What I've learned is that the difference between concern and worry is when a legitimate concern crosses over into that heavy distress, agitation, inability to let that go. That's, that's, the, um, that's the marker for me. If I've crossed over there, I know I'm in the wrong ditch. And as in almost everything in life, James, there are two ditches. Worry is one. Um, denial is the other ditch. Because we cannot afford to live in a false positivity that says nothing's wrong. I don't want to see what's happening. I refuse to face the truth of what, of what my life is like. Uh, denial keeps us from facing and dealing with the things that we really need to tend to. Worry incapacitates us and, we, and keeps us from being able to deal with the things that we need to. So what we want to do is shoot down the down the middle. So the truth is, if we can steer a car down the middle of the road, we can steer our thoughts. We can steer our minds. That's, that's just been a helpful visual to me. And it, it just simply takes a lot of practice. So when you find yourself slipping into one ditch or the other, no worry, just pull back up and get back in the middle of the road and keep going. You know, my sons have taught me as much about life and God as anyone ever has. And when I think back to their younger years, when they were just little boys, uh, they were able to be happy and carefree and to be exactly what they were, little children, because they knew that they had parents that were bigger, stronger, wiser, and could fix things and take care of them. That is actually how you and I are meant to live. And for me, the only way that I could find that place was to put my faith in someone who was much bigger, much stronger, and much wiser than me. And the fact that I cannot understand him completely is a great comfort to me. Because if I could completely understand him, he would be no bigger than I am, and that would not be a comfort to me. So that, that is how I have learned through practice, to conquer the ditch of worry and to stay uh, in reality, not to live in denial, but to keep it in the middle. Like my father, who is a simple country man with an eighth grade education, he told me once when I was a kid, he said, when you slide into the ditch, you don't go all the way back to where you started from. You just drive up out of the ditch and you keep going. Yes. So that's what I want to tell my fellow Americans. There's a lot to be concerned about, 
but there's nothing to truly worry about. That's what I want. Amen to that. Thank you, Rhonda. Where can people find you? Your website, and they can find the essay on the dailybs.com. What's your website? My website is rondashrock.com, and the essay, Nothing to Worry About, is on your website, the Daily BS. Thank you, Rhonda. Appreciate you always, my darling. Thank you so much. Let's grab a quick call or two before time to go. Let's go to Silas in Staten Island. You have been on hold. Thank you for waiting. Got to make it quick. Silas, time is running out. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to hit you with one, Elvis was the king. And one thing I loved about him is he was a top man on the totem pole, and he never took an attitude with people. He never acted like who, who the hell I am. He was always a gentleman. And as far Lovely. as the... Um, and as far as the uh, the congestion pricing, that that's been set up with them for years because they knew they were going to just charge you a new tax. That's, that's all it was. Exactly right. That is so I, I, dead on. I have one thing. I think you could pick it. If I give you a line, you should know the man and the song. Uh-oh. I'm going to add some bottom so that the dancers just won't hat. Who's the man? Sign the family stone. That's Larry Graham singing that line. You, you know go. that's right. That's Dance I'm to the gonna... Music, 1967, Epic Records. Larry Graham sings that line as he's playing the bass, and then he plays his bass line with the fuzz box. With a fuzz Boom. box. I'm in a cover band, SKP, and we play that all the time. Boom. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, yesterday we celebrated the anniversary. Well, didn't celebrate. We acknowledged the anniversary of Cynthia Robinson passing away. Cynthia was the trumpet player and the uh, vocalist. She was also Sly's cousin, I think, with Sly and the Family Stone. So, yeah, we, we love some Sly and the Family Stone here on WABC. You know what? It's time, I believe. Yeah, we're closing in. It's pretty soon on time to go. And I just want to say this. Yesterday we uh, celebrated the heavenly birthday of Rush Limbaugh. And I said yesterday at the close of the show, there's never going to be anybody like him. And I'm going to say it again today. Rush has influenced my life in so many ways. Diana, all of us that work with Rush, all of us, we miss him terribly. And we will never forget him. And this is like his birthday weekend. So once again, happy birthday, Rush. May God bless and protect each and every single one of you, your families, your loved ones. I have nothing but love and gratitude for you, for you, for being here with me and allowing me the honor to be with you. God willing, we'll be back Monday, 4 p.m. for Boston Early's Rush Hour. Until then, my friends, thank you so much. My crew, Matt, thanks. Half Brit Nick, you're amazing. My crew during the week, Diego, amazing. TJ, amazing. Lisa, amazing. Jim, amazing. I love you all. Thank you. Bye.